This morning I'll be reading from Psalm 91. And I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I am trusting in him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plague. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor fear the dangers of the day, nor dread the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. But you will see it with your eyes. You will see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your dwelling. For he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. You will trample down lions and poisonous snakes. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. For the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation. I imagine you probably heard the uh, uh, unbelievably joyful news out of London. Um, I I listened to that late at night on uh, BBC, uh, coming home in a car, and uh, I was astounded. You know, when you think of England, at least when I used to think of England, I used to think of prim and proper. You know, the uh, um, the wedding of uh, Prince William and pomp and circumstance and all of that, and instead what you have here. Uh, is complete insanity. Uh, folks, young folks mostly, uh, latest count is 1,600 were arrested, including one 11-year-old who just uh, were bored and felt like going smashing and burning. Uh, there apparently was no special... Um, Racial uh, issues. There were there were no. Uh, it wasn't so much that people were unemployed and were angry. By some accounts, and by the way, the some of these youth were um, interviewed, and some of the reasons for wanting to to be engaged in this was some of them wanted new sneakers. And that sounds like a profound reason for breaking, smashing stores. They wanted better computers, better iPhones. And uh, they just wanted a good time. And I'm listening to this and I'm saying, what's wrong with that picture? Uh, the Prime Minister um, stated a major segment of British society is sick. 
And I thought, yes, that um, <laughs> seems to cover it. And it's particularly difficult for me to consider because England was where the first ministry to Jewish people began about 200 years ago. London, what they used to call Jews' society, they, they've changed it and made it a bit more uh, politically correct. But that was the ministry that began in London to share Yeshua, to share the gospel with Jewish people. The first group of Messianic Jews gathering together um, as fellow believers took place in England in 1814. And over a period of time, what has apparently happened is that um, the good news went to all these places, but England itself had become spiritually uh, evacuated um, The country has become very secular and empty. And Islam has been flourishing in, in England and occult and so on and so forth. It, you know, that those kinds of things um, are a reason for concern, reason for fear. Yes, fear. Uh, because since 9-11, we in the United States have become very much sensitized to the fact that we are not immune. Um, you know, I, I periodically do some traveling, flying primarily, and it is incredible how much vigilance has to be there, um, including the, the baggage, including people getting on board and so on and so forth. And so, you know, part of that as I was reading this psalm, what really jumped out at me at first was the fear that all of us wrestle with from time to time. You know, especially when you go to sleep at night and you're kind of in that transition zone. You're not quite fully asleep. You're not quite fully awake. And sometimes you have thoughts racing, what's going to happen, what is going to happen to me, what's going to happen to my family, or you wake up um, with a sense of foreboding and dread and your, your hands are sweaty and your heart is racing, and you have all these tapes going through your mind, and yeah, you can sometimes think about, well... You know, when I go to sleep, I'm going to pray and say, Lord, uh, put a covering around my thoughts. Well, how many of us remember to do that every single night? So, yeah, we wrestle with fear. I certainly do. One of mine is fear of failure. And for quite a while, I would come in, uh, in, into service, Shabbat morning, 10 o'clock, and there would be a handful of people and all kinds of scenarios were running through my mind. Lord, what's going to happen? How am I going to preach? And et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I have to tell you that God is faithful, merciful, patient teacher. 
he gets through these uh, steel plates of mine and I have no doubt that he is able to to do the same for each one of us as we're willing to listen. Part of what helps me each Shabbat is the cover of the Torah, the Ark, that states, if you can read Hebrew and English in small letters, it states, Da lifnei mi ata omed, know before whom you stand. I mean, it's a box, it's a very ornate box. We had a, an Israeli artist do that for us a number of years ago. But it, it is a powerful reminder for us. And yes, there are times when fear is appropriate, especially, um, and by the way, Hebrew has a couple of, like everything else, Hebrew has a bunch of very vivid words to describe things. One of the words for fear is yara, which means to fear in a sense of reverence and worship. Yara is one of the basic, uh, one of the three basic words in Hebrew for worship. How do you worship God? You show Him reverence. So th there are parts of us where there are times where fear is appropriate, especially if it's directed towards God. You know, when, when God puts His fear into us. It's a good fear. But then there are times when fear is very toxic. It it does a number on us. It, it stirs our gut. And, um, you know, I used to think that Shaul of Tarsus, Rav Shaul, Paul, the apostle, was 100% of the time Mr. Mack Truck. You know, uh, the Timex watch uh, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And a lot of times that was the case. You know, he gets stoned in Lystra. He gets up, goes preaching to the next town the next, the next day. No problem. I, you know, I almost got killed. No big deal. Um, he gets beaten in the synagogue. Um, gets uh, scourged, nasty beating, whipping by the Romans. Uh, shipwrecked, etc., etc. He says, hey, it's momentary light affliction. No biggie. <laughs> and my response is, such momentary light affliction could kill me. <laughs> Just in, in that one moment. Uh, but, you know, as you go deeper into the Word of God and, and, and you go deeper into Paul's story, what blesses me no end, and maybe I'm sick, but what blesses me no end is to see a more accurate portrait of who the man really was. Like all of us, he struggled with fear. In fact, there are three places, and, and I won't go into it and read it, but there are three places where Paul explicitly says, you know, I feared, real fear, not reverence towards God. I feared, I was afraid that all the labor I had put into you was like pouring effort down a sink. Three places. One of them, of course, is Galatia, where the Galatian believers were 
hot for the Lord and then some folks come along and say, no, you need to go this way. And, and they say, yeah, you're right. And they went this way to legalism. Paul says, you know, I was afraid that the labors I put into you were all in vain, was worthless. Same thing in, in the letter to the Thessalonians. Paul was very concerned because the believers were going through all kinds of suffering. They were being squeezed and Paul was concerned that the suffering would make them go away. And even with the Philippians, a great bunch of folks who loved Paul, uh, supported him, were true blue. Even then, Paul says, you know, there are times when I was concerned what would happen to you. Afraid that what I was doing would be in vain. And the psalmist here, we don't know who the psalmist is, but the psalmist here expresses serious fear, folks. Verse 5. And, and by the way, I, I know this is kind of backwards, but that's because I learned to read from right to left. Uh, you know, most of us zoom in on he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High and all these great and glorious statements, which we'll get to. Um, but for me, for some strange reason, what jumped out at me this time was the fear issue. Verse 5, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the plague that destroys midday. Verse 6, Or the destruction that lays waste at noon. Whoever this person is, there is some element in his life where he is aware of a fear. And it's not just fear, folks. The Hebrew word there, I won't ask you to repeat it, pachad. Pachad means terror. You know, this is the kind of fear that grabs you and 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 intimidate you and um, makes you feel like a chill has come over you. I know all of us have experienced that at one time or another. You know, life becomes very fragile. You know, you see that in yourself, you see that in other folks. You see that in the economy? Life is fragile. You, be, you become, you have moments where you become afraid. And you know, I'm, for one, I'm grateful that the Lord sees fit to spend a great deal of time in the Word of God dealing with the fear issue. Because He knows the way we are wired and he knows that there are times when instead of saying, yes, Lord, you're cool, you're wonderful, I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth, we have moments where we sort of shrivel into a puddle. All kinds of examples. Joshua is preparing to cross from the high plains of Moab 
to take a bunch of feisty, cantankerous people from the plains of Moab to cross the Jordan River to come into this land where they know their difficulties. They know coming into it. They're not, there's no, uh, they're not, um, there's no illusion there that coming into the land of Canaan was going to be a cakewalk. They know because the spies came in and part of what the spies described for them was reality. Yes, there are fortified cities and yes, there are giants and yes, there are difficulties. And apparently Joshua is someone who is somewhat timid I mean, he was a general that led Israel's army. But as you read Joshua chapter 1, the Lord repeats over and over and over and over again, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Do you get it? Be strong and courageous. Verse 9 of Joshua chapter 1, have I not commanded you? Do you get it? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. A couple of very strong words in Hebrew for fear. <clears throat> um, one of them has the sense of breaking apart, you know, just falling, falling to pieces. And the other one has the sense of being being oppressed. A couple of very strong words and the Lord says, do not be afraid. What makes the difference? Not so much that we somehow are able to <clears throat> to chin up and, and do all this positive thinking kind of stuff. It's simply the fact that we know that the Lord is with us. Isaiah chapter 41 the Lord says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, O worm of Jacob, O little Israel, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. This is Isaiah 41. Don't you love that expression, O worm of Jacob? You know, that, that's a really uh, wonderfully affirming expression <laughs> on the part of God, you know, O worm of Jacob. Yeah, you, you kind of slither along the, 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 uh, the soil looking to burrow as deeply as possible into it. Uh, I, I would assume that at one time or another we can all say, been there, done that. And I am absolutely delighted, folks, that God doesn't leave us with a fear. I mean, th th this whole chapter uh, in Psalm, Psalm 91 is all designed about God conveying to the psalmist and to the people reading it the fact that what makes the ultimate difference is His presence. Not the fact that we are awesomely spiritual and, and particularly 
courageous. Yes, God calls on us to be courageous. But then he gives us the reason why we can and should be courageous. Not because we are necessarily courageous people, but because God is with us. Coming back again to Mr. Mack Truck in Corinth, Paul is preaching in the synagogue and a certain segment of the Jewish community was not what you call delighted by his preaching. This is Acts 18 and um, we're kind of going all over the uh, all over scripture, so bear with me. Um, Acts 18, 6, the Jewish people opposed Paul and became abusive. And he shook his clothes in protest and says to them, Your blood be upon your heads. I'm now clear of my responsibility. From now on I go to the Gentiles. And just as an aside, people of course look at that scripture as proof positive the fact that from that point on uh, the Jews, the Jewish nation was to be put on a, on a back shelf and that God's screen would only be filled with the, with the Gentile nations. The short version is wrong. Because even here in this case, Acts, this is Acts 18, Paul leaves the synagogue, goes next door. He doesn't go to the Gentile community. He goes next door to the house of Titius Justice who was what? A worshiper of God, a Gentile God-fearer who was connected, who was associated with the Jewish community. Probably had been a member at the synagogue or at least visited. And guess who was there? Crispus, the synagogue ruler. Very much a, a Jewish setting continues and his entire household believe in the Lord and many of the Corinthian believers heard him and were immersed. Now, you think that this would be incredibly encouraging, uplifting, despite the opposition? And the answer, of course, is yes and no. I'm sure Paul was absolutely delighted to see all these folks come to Yeshua, particularly a very influential man like Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. But somehow God sees fit. Yeshua sees fit to personally appear to him. And by the way, in the book of Acts, you don't find a ton of expressions where the Lord makes a point of speaking to someone and having it recorded in the Word of God. I mean, I'm sure the Lord was speaking to people, but for, for, for His reasons, you don't find a ton of examples. Here you have one example. The Lord appears to him in a dream and says to him, Paul, do not be afraid. Why would the Lord say to him, do not be afraid, unless here in the middle of the night, you know, as, as he is getting to sleep, lying awake, tossing and turning, who knows what. Um, <clears throat> some videos come to his mind where he had seen 
persecution from the past. He has seen persecution, the current, and he is thinking, well, what am I going to face in the future? And by the way, Corinth was not exactly a uh, receptive place for the good news of Yeshua. This was a place where the temple of Aphrodite was with supposedly, and I, we don't know for sure, but apparently 1,000 sacred prostitutes in the temple there. And all kinds of other corruption and, and idolatry. You can see that Paul... Think about it, and the Lord says, no, no, no. No, do not be afraid. Keep on talking. I'm with you. No one is going to attack you and harm you. Evidently, Paul was very much considering the possibility that he would be attacked and harmed. You will not be attacked and harmed because I have many people in this city. The result is Paul stays there for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Now, did that solve things? <clears throat> did that completely fix things? Yes and no. As far as Paul was concerned, he was emboldened, he was empowered by this word from God to press on to do what the Lord has called him. Did that put a stop to persecution? Absolutely not. Later on, <clears throat> we find <clears throat> uh, in this chapter... The Jewish opponents came and rose up. And, and the Greek words there, they rose up and they brought him into court. The Greek words there make it clear that they didn't knock on the door politely and say, Yo, Paul, um, if you don't have anything happening, uh, we would like to take you for a visit down to the court and and, and consider what we're going to be doing. Now, the language is very much a mob scene where people grabbed Paul, possibly yanked him out of his house, and dragged him down to the court. Not too gently. But he was prepared. He was prepared. Yes, fear was there. But he heard the word of the Lord... And he continued. And the Lord saw to it that he would be taken care of. So having said all of that, I want to come back to Psalm 91. And that's where we'll park the rest of our time. As you look at the scenario, you say, why does this psalm talk about all kinds of different possibilities of how people could hurt us. The arrow, uh, in verse 5, the arrow that flies by, by day, the pestilence, in other words, the plague that comes in darkness, the destruction. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side. That clearly suggests some kind of a battle. Verse 10, no evil will befall you. No plague. Again, the same kind of the same kind of scenarios over and over again. All the different ways that you can get hurt. And I believe that the Lord piles on the language here. Why? To encourage us and cover 
all kinds of, of fear that we have. Fear of this, fear of that, fear of the other. You know, little fear, big fear, paralyzing fear, neutralizing fear, etc. That the Lord wants us to understand simply that fear may be there. But He's able to cover all of that. All of that. What blesses me at, at this juncture, I have to say, is that Scripture is emphatic that God doesn't expect us to be robots, to be androids that have absolutely no, no feelings, no struggles. The Lord knows how we're wired. And He says, yes, I know how you feel, but... I'm here with you. I want you to learn to trust in me. To put those basic steps of faith that I'm going to provide and cover for you. And the psalmist gets it. And we see that throughout the psalm in, in a number of the verses there. Verses 1, 2, and 3, and 4. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, El Elyon, God Most High. And you, you understand the language there. That in those days, um, the society of the pagans had all kinds of gods and goddesses. And the Lord made a point to convey to Israel and to the nations, I am God Most High. I am El Elyon. There's no entity, no deity that comes anywhere near me. Amen. That, folks, practically speaking, if you connect the dots... Practically speaking, that means that there is absolutely nothing in your life or in my life that is beyond God's control and God's working. If He is truly El Elyon, that means that there's nothing that He cannot handle. There's nothing that He doesn't know about. There's nothing that He is not aware about. All of that because he's El Elyon, God Most High. He's sovereign over all. Wherever it is that you go, wherever it is that you go in places that may have fear and stress, whether it's to go to work and deal with difficult employers or difficult colleagues, whether it is to go to the hospital and, and see someone or be in the hospital. I've been on both sides of that. Or even go to a funeral home or a cemetery as we did a couple of weeks ago. You have to stand and 
stop and recognize the simple fact that God is overall. God is overall. Where we get really get into trouble is we get neutralized and paralyzed by fear. And we forget that God is above. That he's able to handle things. If we understand that, then we will say in verse 2, He is my refuge and my fortress. Hebrew word for refuge has the sense of a covering. You know, uh, if you are walking and all of a sudden there is a severe downpour, rain just pours down on you, what do you do? You, you look for some kind of a shelter, some kind of an overhang or something that will protect you from the rain. The Lord does that for us. He is our refuge. Fortress in Hebrew has the sense, misgav has a sense of a, um, a tower that is way up there, that is high. And we can choose to walk in fear or we can do what the psalmist tells us. If you make, he will cover you in verse 4. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. But part of the implication here is if you make the Lord most high your dwelling. There's freedom in knowing that. There's freedom, folks, in knowing that God doesn't expect us to get it all right. You know, and, and, and that's one of the fears that we obsess. Did I get it right? Did I say the right thing? Did I, did I blow it? Did, did I step on someone's feet? Should I have said that? Uh, should I have not said that? You know, if you're like me, you probably have tend to replay the tapes and replay the tapes and try to edit them and try to cut them until at some point you say, enough, Dayenu, I give up, Lord. It's really not about how well I do and how well I manage things to begin with. It's all about you. I'm not El Elyon. You are. There's freedom that. There's freedom from obsession about trying to get things just right. You know, and if, and if you think it's easy for me, let me tell you that when you go to seminary, part of what they teach you is how to obsess. <laughs> you know, how to, to prepare a sermon, then how to pick it apart and how to listen to it, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, at some point you say, no. Thank you, Lord. Um, the world does not begin and end with me. And it's not what comes out of my mouth necessarily. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in knowing that the Lord is our shelter, our covering. He is El Elyon. He is our refuge. He's God Most High. He's our security. Do you know that? You know that the Lord is your security. I can't tell you how many times I got the fact 
that if it wasn't for the Lord, I would have been dead. A few years ago, uh, three years ago actually, two years ago, I was in an accident and a lady, I was going 40 miles an hour through an intersection. Uh, I, ha I had the green light. And the lady pulled in front of me, coming from the other side. And I couldn't stop. I slammed on the brakes, slammed into her. The, the car was mushed. And I see the... I see the um, uh, airbag exploding. And it's sort of like slow-mo kind of a thing where I look at it and say, this is interesting. Uh, this could have smacked me in the face and really done, and I came out of it somewhat shaken, but thinking to myself, okay, Lord, uh, you've got that one very covered. And part of it, folks, is the love relationship we have with the Lord. It's not so much that we do everything we're supposed to, but our hearts are towards God. Verse 14, if you skip down, verse 14, 15, and 16. Because he loves me. The Hebrew word there for love, cheshek, means he's attached to me. He's stuck on me. And by the way, the Lord uses this word a lot, or he uses this word to speak about his love for Israel. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 10, 15. I love these people. I'm stuck on them. Not because they're cute and clever. But because I love them. Amen. I love them because I love them. And part of the relationship is those who see God, know God, understand God, are in relationship with God, call upon Him. The Hebrew word there for call has the sense of calling with expectation that the hearer will respond positively. It's not one of these things we say, well, if you don't have anything better to do, uh, would you please listen to me? I, I, I have some needs here. Um, but the word kara there means to call out. Lord, I need you. Then what is special in these verses then, I talked about the our end of the relationship and then these verses have a pile of verbs, action statements. In fact, seven of them that describes God's commitment to action for those who love Him. Beginning in verse 14, Because He loves me, I will rescue Him. I will protect Him. I will answer Him. In verse 15, I will deliver Him and honor Him. With long life, I will satisfy Him. Very personal kind of statements. Rescue here, the, the word for rescue in verse 14 has a sense of God providing a trapdoor. 
you know, sort of like Indiana Jones being chased by all the bad guys and somehow there's a trap door, he goes through it, whoosh, everything is fine. As in 1 Corinthians 10.13, the Lord will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we're able. I will protect him. Has a sense of bringing up to this high place, this castle to escape a coming tsunami. I will answer him. Straightforward about that. I will deliver him has to, to do with releasing by pulling somebody out of trouble. You know, I remember driving with a great deal of anger coming out of an unpleasant meeting and I got in a car, it was raining, I drove, slid into a, a bank of mud and the Lord was merciful. Someone came along with a truck and winched me out of it. I was delivered. The Lord honors those of us who w learn to wait upon Him. And that simply means causing that person to be viewed as a person of substance. I will satisfy him in a sense of seeing to it that the person is no more satisfied to the point of fullness. And I will show him my salvation has a sense of I will cause him to see it even when he is clueless. So you have all these statements where the Lord speaks. But the biggest one that's kind of in there that we may not notice The Lord says, I will be with him in trouble. And you know, as we read scripture, we often miss that. We don't tune into the fact that God's greatest blessing for you and I is simply the fact that he is with us. That he, hangs out, he hangs out with us. Because all the blessings that we get flow out of that. So we tune in to all, the, to all the goodies, all the bennies, the benefits, and we don't understand the fact that the biggest one of all is the fact that the Lord says, I'm going to walk with you. Let me just rattle a couple of verses. Isaiah 57, 15. This is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and lofty place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Very powerful statement. But the Lord says, this is who I am. I, I, I live here. I'm holy. And I, I live in a high place, but also... I live in a low place with those who are lowly, who are contrite in heart, to walk with them and 
to encourage and revive them. The Lord says, never would I leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13. Yeshua tells us the same thing. I will not leave you desolate. The previous verse was Hebrews 13.5. In John 14.18, Yeshua tells us, I will not leave you desolate. I will come unto you. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. It's a promise. And the permanency of the presence of God with us which enables us to cope, to walk through the trials and to, go, to walk through suffering. And you know folks, sometimes what we hear being proclaimed is the don't worry, be happy kind of a good news which I don't see in the Bible. You know, maybe I'm a little obtuse, but um, I don't see in the Bible. I mean, it may go down smooth and may tickle our fancy, but it's also a good lie. The Lord states the fact that we will go through trials, we will go through suffering, And sometimes, folks, we just don't get it. We don't understand why the Lord allows us to go through these things. You know, as I was preparing this, I, was, I couldn't help but think of the time that we spent with Michael and, and his kids and his family as we sat with Stephanie as she was preparing to meet Yeshua. On one level, it made absolutely no sense. Because if you talk about someone who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who abides in the, sh in the shadow of the Almighty, that characterized Michael also characterized Stephanie. And there are times when we look at our life and we don't get the fact why the Lord allows us to go through these fiery trials it certainly doesn't add up with what people want to tell us that you accept Yeshua everything will be fine the answer of course is yes and no no it will not be fine in the sense of all the kinks being straightened out of our life in terms of trials and tribulations Yes, our life will be dramatically revolutionized and restored because of what God does with us. And that ultimately is what life is about, folks. You and I have a, a, a pile of unknowns, a pile of questions wise, you know, we're perplexed why the Lord doesn't allow us to escape troubles and trials. 
And, and particularly when we look at a psalm like this, you know, we say, Lord, I'm trusting you. How come you allowed me to go through this, 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 and that? What we don't understand, folks, is that God doesn't promise us that we will be free of suffering. In fact, if anything, he tells us that we can count on going through times of trial. I was talking to Bill Bjorker, if you remember, he was here with us a few months ago, and he reminded me that Paul in Romans 8 says, Who will separate us from the love of Messiah shall trouble hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. This is Romans 8.35. Then he comes back in Romans 8.37 and says, No, in all these things, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him. In all of these things. Somehow the Lord walking with us, faithfully, somehow with the Spirit of God, empowering us, enabling us to continue to persevere and at some point to persevere with joy. I'm still working on that one. To persevere and at some point we can say, Lord, because you walked with me, you have taught me to overcome. You've taught me to overcome. So what does this psalm mean? It means that God is committed to us. And His presence is there with us through thick and thin. And because of that, our life, our destiny, is not up for grabs. We know that whatever we go through... The Lord is with us and the Lord has a plan and the Lord is working that plan. It may make absolutely no sense to us. But we are not cast aside and sort of just floating around on, on some piece of driftwood in the ocean. The Lord is very much engaged with us. And whatever takes place, He at least allows it and often designs it. And that whatever we go through, when we go through suffering, he uses our experiences for the good. And his presence with us, remember he is El Elyon, his presence with us even covers us during those times. And yes, there are times when we feel like a trapeze artist when when we feel like we have to cross over to the other side but we got to remember that the Lord's hands are right there with us preparing to grab us and that's what he looks for that's what he looks for for us to make the Lord our refuge to say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Perhaps you're here and you've been going through your trials and tribulations and suffering and going through all kinds of stuff that make absolutely no sense. 
I want to encourage you to trust in the goodness of God in the midst of all of that. Amen. Not to buy the lie that says if you love God, He will give you, He, he will cause you to, uh, to be healthy, happy, not to worry, etc., etc. But somehow to learn to walk with the Lord, to see His goodness, His faithfulness through all of this. To learn to put our hands in His. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, stand before you and we acknowledge that there are lots of things that we don't understand. But we praise you, Lord God, because we do understand who you are. We praise you, Lord God, that you reveal yourself as the merciful, compassionate, full of chesed, grace, and truth. We thank you, Lord God, that you are faithful to us. We thank you, Lord God, that you are sovereign in every situation in our life. I pray, Lord God, for each person here today, whatever situation they find themselves in, Lord God, we, we pray that you would bless us with robust faith, Lord God, to trust you, that you would walk with us, that you would sustain us, and that you would work out your best in our life. We thank you, Lord, for that. In the name of Yeshua. Amen.